Through the Keyhole is fueled by Vanessa House Beer Company, located in Automobile Alley at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City. Stop by the tap room and try the legendary 401k lager or the refreshing destination wedding cerveza with salt and lime. Vanessa House is always brewing something fun like the Pog Hard Seltzer or their sweet and tasty sours. Great beers for a hot Oklahoma summer as we march towards football season. Stop by the Vanessa House Tap Room at 118 Northwest 8th Street in Oklahoma City for good drinks and family-friendly good times. Kids and pets are welcome. Yes, I mentioned kids and pets in the same sentence. Vanessa House Beer Company, the best beer in Oklahoma City. Please drink responsibly. Welcome to Through the Keyhole, an Oklahoma football podcast. I am one of your hosts, Peyton Guthrie, joined this week with, uh, by, not just with, but by uh, Brady and Allen. Uh, Matt, the producer, our most, uh, I think the favorite host of the fans, to be honest with you. I think Matt has, it's like the secret heartthrob, uh, has to do a, uh, a different type of football show, he said tonight. Uh, so he'll, we, won't, we won't have him tonight. But uh, as the weather's rolled in, winter started, uh, you know, the, uh, the ever-loving, uh, beautiful weather of college football ended. And at the end came winter and cold and wind and ice and snow and flash floods, apparently, on our eastern seaboard. Uh, but beyond that... <laughs> How's everyone holding up, uh, Brady? Let's let's start with you. I know this is a uh, the weather in which you you know you hold your knees at night and rock back and forth and, and hate with uh, every fiber of your being. Oh yeah, it sucks. It sucks. Um, nobody woke up this morning. If you lived, um, I mean, especially in Edmond, I heard Edmond was a a snow apocalypse or something. Um, but nobody woke up. If you live in the Oklahoma City area, Norman, um, north of Oklahoma City, a little bit and thought today's going to be a great day. It's just, it's, it's the middle of winter. I just keep telling myself it keep, it's going to just get better each day. Like there might be some days where it gets really cold. Like I think Martin Luther King day, it's at least in Oklahoma, it's going to get down into the teens. And what's going to suck is this weekend. I am of my own free will driving North to Lawrence to go watch. OU beat Kansas in Lawrence for <laughs> the first time since I was a wee lad. And it's going to be, freezing cold up there in Kansas. And then I'm going to come back on Sunday and it could be snowing. So yeah, football season ends. And then the gods just say, yep, here's hellscape winter. Yeah. I didn't have it too bad down here. It was cold. It was like uh, 28 degrees when I was on my morning walk, uh, the mile I do, uh, which was dreadful. Uh, but I did think I needed to have my car realigned, <laughs> but I just got hit by a couple of gusts of winds that I hadn't, wasn't really paying attention to. But uh, Alan, how's it like on, on on your side? I know you don't quite have the Oklahoma weather as uh, that you may miss, <laughs> and, and just but I know you guys actually get like snow, snow every once in a while. So how are you guys holding yeah, up? Every every once in a while, uh, not not much lately, uh, but we're holding up all right. You know, uh, man, I, I I am jealous, Brady. Lawrence is always. I mean, you know. It, it, Fog Allen, you know, I mean, Lawrence is always a lot of fun, man. I, I, when I, I realize it's a house of horrors for everybody else in the Big 12, but uh, it's a good time there, man. Actually, it's it's anything but a house of horrors for everybody in the Big 12 because everybody in the Big 12, at least in basketball, seems to beat Kansas with some regularity 
in Lawrence except for us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Oklahoma State beats them there every other year. And for whatever reason, OU will just, they are perpetually stuck in. We have a 10 point lead with four minutes to go. And then all hell breaks loose. And then the refs are like, ah, no, 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 no. You're not going to have it this time. And so I'm just hoping that. Um, at least I, I had this thought immediately after Kansas beat us in football back in November. I just immediately thought, you know, if we beat them in Lawrence in basketball, I, this it will wipe away this loss. I won't give a rat's ass about, oh, yeah, that one time I saw Kansas football beat OU, in, um, obviously, in football. It's like no one, no one will care. We moved on. And then if OU basketball can make it happen on Saturday, man, that'd be awesome. Yeah, back in the day, there was a a bar there called uh, Jetlag. I think it's probably gone by now. In fact, I think it did close down. It was run by this guy with like a hook for a hand, and man, that place, <laughs> that place, good times, man. Good. Times. I mean, I just saw a. I just went and saw a uh, Led Zeppelin cover band in Oklahoma City. Um, they're called Uncle Zepp. Um, I saw them at Belle Isle with my parents. Um, what was this on? on Saturday. It was on their anniversary, which is January 6th, by the way, by the way, bless their hearts. But uh, the lead singer, the band was awesome. The lead singer did have a prosthetic hand. So he, he was playing guitar. And so he had a pick in like his hook or whatever. It's I don't, I don't know if that's the proper term. So forgive me. Um, but he was playing and singing like Robert Plant. So that was that was pretty cool. You don't see that every day. No, you don't. huh? Oh, and speaking of Alan, I'm gl- I'm happy to hear that you got through your second consecutive consecutive January six in DC with uh, minimal <laughs> yeah. minimal minimal events. You know, it's just a hopefully just a calm weekend for you this past weekend. Indeed, indeed. I yeah, I I was laying low. All right, now that all the nights of these are out of the way, let's talk about some football. Uh, <laughs> the uh, college football season officially comes to a close. At least the on-field section of it comes to a close with the Michigan Wolverines beating the Washington Huskies. Uh, I won't say in resounding fashion because the game kind of fell apart at the end, but it it did seem like they had kind of defanged. The Wolverines had kind of defanged Huskies to a certain degree on that part in time, uh, which was just, I don't know, it just seemed like every single Michigan game you you watched this year played out the exact same way. Uh, And this one did as well. Um, that the magic seemed to have run out or the struck the, you know, the clock struck midnight on Pinnock's, uh, but at the same time, uh, the uh, Michigan de- defensive line really kept him moving. And, uh, these, uh, cornerbacks and safeties for Michigan really stuck to these wide receivers. Alan, you kind of tweeted a couple of times. I saw some activity on your timeline, kind of talking about this game and everyone saying like, man, this is the worst game ever. And he, this is the worst time you could have had it, but you know, Michigan, had uh you know had some say in that i mean what what were your overall thoughts of the of the, of the title game and michigan's return to the mountaintop after uh i don't know however many years since 97 for a shared i think their first outright since like 48 49 something of that yeah. nature Long time. Oh. yeah um well you know michigan to me i mean i felt like their defensive line was Clearly, the story of that game, and it's funny watching it. You know, as then I went back after I was, you know, people started pushing back and be like, "No, I mean, Penix wasn't missing those throws against Texas and blah blah blah." And I went back and started watching it. Uh, went back and watched like just the, even just the first quarter uh, this morning, and I mean, from what I could tell, I mean, Michigan's defensive line was in Penix's head and in the coaching staff's head, like from the jump. Everything was horizontal. 
Uh, I mean, he was whenever he did have to look downfield, he was skittish with good reason. I mean, he was under uh, under duress the whole time, you know, and then by halftime, I mean, they I'm, I'm assuming he cracked a rib or something. I mean, that looked really bad uh, as the game went on uh, the way he was laboring there. So, I mean, you know, what Michigan did had a lot of say in how uh, in how he played uh, and how poorly he played. And then. You know, the, looking at the other side of the ball, I know everybody Everybody is enamored with, you know, spread offenses, high-flying passing. But, man, like, it is so, in many ways, it's just demoralizing. And it's just, I mean, it's so methodical when you're able to just turn around and hand the ball off and, you know, you know pop off 7 yards, 10 yards, 20 yards, 40 yards. I mean, you know that's the part of the kind of modern offensive game where people talk about how, you know, running doesn't really matter anymore. And I'm, I think, man, like, but it's, it's so much simpler. And so, and so, you know, it's so much more uh, efficient of a way to, uh, to move the ball when you can do that. I mean, I think it only really took what one or two drives to figure out how, how that part of the game was going to go. And, uh, you know, Washington was going to need to come up with some, some miracles. I felt like watching that. Yeah, honestly, I think that's something that uh, it, it depends, I guess, how Michigan's going to uh, survive, uh, not survive, but, you know, stay intact, how how much intact they're going to stay after this game, you know, with rumors of Harbaugh leaving, obviously they're losing, you know, Harbaugh said he expects like 20 draft picks off of this team. So, I mean, it, it's going to be a just a massive, massive amount of talent uh, leaving that program and like how does Moore, the you know, uh, former offensive uh, guard for University of Oklahoma, you know, where, where does he land? Is, is he is he the next man up for head coach there or something of that nature? And, um, you know, does he have more creativity? Because that was always something that I'd seen some OU fans who, I mean, we're used to more high-flying offenses and things of that nature. And, uh, you know, they're like, man, this offense is so boring. JJ can't do anything. The wide receivers aren't getting open or something like that. And my whole thing was like, why would you want to do any of that stuff if – this really, like you said, this really simple thing is working. <laughs> like, just keep doing that. And I know it was super early, but once it was 14-3, I just kept thinking, oh, this game's over. Like, even if, you know, Michigan stopped running 50-yard touchdown runs, <laughs> I just like, mm-hmm. oh, with, with a 10-point lead, this is done. Like, they're going to sit on this ball. They're, there's no reason to keep scoring unless you just have to, and they didn't have to. And that, that's, that's it may, maybe leads to a more quote-unquote boring product <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's a damn sure effective way to win a football game if you could yeah, just hold somebody yeah. down you know what and i hate to <laughs> hate to bring this up but it reminded me a lot of when OU played um georgia honestly in the uh rose bowl insofar as i remember a bunch of people telling me like at halftime of the game like oh this is amazing you know they georgia can't stop OU's offense and i was like guys georgia is scoring by just turning around and handing the ball off. i mean they're not doing any like they're going to be able to do that again in the second half. Like it's not, I mean, that, that was kind of the feeling I had watching Michigan run the ball last night. It was like, they don't have to do anything like this is, this is it. There's nothing This will not require any type of creativity. Yeah. It required, it all required them was to uh, stay calm. (laughs) Kirby smart stayed calm and kept handing the ball off. And it also required Lincoln Riley to mysteriously 
not turn to Rodney Anderson in the third quarter because <laughs> Oklahoma was doing the same to, to yeah, Georgia. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Too many bad you, memories, man. I know oh. it's tough. I, I saw that, uh, that, that I can't remember. It was like pick six previews was tweeting out all the national championship stuff. And it's like, there's USC, there's LSU, there's Florida. It's, it was not fun to see all that stuff, but Brady national championship game is now in the books. I mean, what are your thoughts on Michigan getting over that hump uh, again, back on top of the mountaintop, beating a, uh, a Washington team and, and basically two teams that some people in the national football media had kind of written off as like, it's impossible for these types of teams to win. It was impossible for Michigan to win because they weren't, they're not a top 10, top five recruiter. And then Washington itself isn't, uh, you know, over the 50% uh, blue chip ratio, which means 50% of your roster has four or five stars as compares to three twos and unrated. Yeah. I mean, I mean, shout out to Michigan for doing what they did and sticking to, you know, like Harbaugh, because I mean, for the first handful of years and, um, in his tenure, it just, you didn't really see much on the horizon in terms of like, what is, what is the path for them to overtake Ohio state in the big 10? I mean, that's, that's step one, because Michigan, even when they had rich Rodriguez, even when they had late stage Lloyd Carr, which, which I guess late stage Lloyd Carr was a, a, as soon as he won that national title or the shared national title in 97, he just went into late stage Lloyd Carr. Um, but for that period of time, Michigan had great rosters. They had great talent. They had NFL players across the board, offense, defense. They didn't really fall into the OU trap of being elite on one side of the ball and kind of forsaking the other. They they were always like well-rounded teams. And then they hire Harbaugh, and that's supposed to kind of like round it out, give them the identity that they had been missing since uh, the mid-90s, you know, when Michigan was kind of humming. Um, on a national level, and at least beating Ohio State um, every year, essentially. But, you know, for them to stick to Harbaugh, for them to kind of manifest their identity, that whole Michigan man thing, um, and really kind of put together a really good product that, um, you know, you, you watch that team perform, and they are, they're well coached, they're well disciplined, they, um, they know exactly what they have to do, and they don't panic. And, you know, I'm a Miami Dolphins fan. I have to watch Tua go out there and panic with a fucking two touchdown lead half the time. So when I watch a football team that, um, you know, when, when a game essentially or inevitably gets kind of dicey, you know, Oh my God, we had two big touchdown runs. Everything's going well. Oh snap. The other really good team that we're playing is punching back. Watching a team not panic in that situation is really good. And I hope that OU at some point can get to that kind of level where they can come out um, firing out of the gate when the opponent punches back, they don't panic. They still run their offense. They still run their defense. They have confidence in their system. And then once the game settles back down, then they just kind of reiterate that, no, we are the better team. That's exactly what Michigan did. Having said that, if Michigan was ever going to win a national title, if this, you know, the whole like, oh, yeah, you don't have to be a top five recruiter. You're, in, you're out to win a national title. Here, here's the path, everybody else. If they were ever going to do it, do it in this season. Don't do it any do don't do it any other season. The last five national champions would cakewalk Michigan. And hell, half of those playoff um, participants in the in those past five to six years would probably kick this Michigan's te Michigan team's ass. Like sometimes timing and place and time and place is just as important as the talent on your roster, um, being fortunate with 
little to no injuries on your roster. Like all those factors are important. Every fan base hopes that if we're, if we don't get injured a lot, you know, we could win 10, 11 games. Everybody forecasts that way. Um, if things break our way, we should win 10 or 11 games. Uh, Michigan, if they were ever going to win a national title, it was going to be in a year like this where probably the best team in terms of talent and capability, Georgia picked the wrong time to lose uh, during the season. And I mean, you credit Alabama for rising to the occasion, but Alabama basically set the stage for Michigan to be able to do what they ultimately did because, I mean, yeah, Peyton, like they go up 14 to what? Was it 14 to nothing or 14 to three? 14 to three. 14 so they three, go up yeah. 14 to three. And I thought as well, it's like, yeah, this, this game's probably going to be over if they're just handing the ball off and scoring, getting chunk yardage with relative ease, because I think we all kind of thought after Washington beat Texas that man, why didn't Texas run the football more? Because whenever they did, they, they seemed to get five, six yards of carry. And it's not like Texas doesn't have average running backs. And I, I know they're missing Jonathan Brooks for the year, but the Baxter kid is really talented. So why don't they run the football more? Michigan's going to do that. And Washington's defense, while not bad, it's certainly not necessarily the strength of that team, especially in the interior of that defense. Um, there's not a lot of speed. There's not a lot of strength. And Michigan just kind of pushed them around. But once Washington settled down, I mean, right when the third quarter began, I thought they're going to get the football. If they can drive down the field and at least kick a field goal, I think Washington's probably going to pull away with a win because – Michigan is confident they're they they know what they're supposed to be doing but you can only go so long by not scoring in a game where you just kind of sleepwalk under this malaise of we have the game under control guys don't worry about it and then in the blink of an eye it's like gone so I mean you credit Michigan for kind of staying true to their identity and ultimately what kind of won the game was just not necessarily I guess getting to Michael Penix, it was just pressuring the shit out of him because that was something that Texas could not do. The two or three times I remember Texas defenders getting in Penix's face, he would just sidestep and then have nobody in front of him. Yeah. And he was able to still look downfield and shred them. Like that was kind of the surprising thing when, you know, Texas has some talent in the interior of their defense. They weren't able to get home. They weren't able to really wreak havoc on him. That's what Michigan did all night. And so that, that to me is what won them the game. But again, I'm salty. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just not going to sit here and say, okay, there is hope. Oh, you can win a national title if we don't have X, Y, and Z. No, 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 no. You have to assume that next season, Alabama is probably going to be really good. Georgia is still going to be awesome. Hell, Tennessee might be very good <laughs> when they come to Norman. Um, teams like Auburn or Florida that sucked this past year, they might be really good because it's the SEC. So credit to Michigan. It, I would have loved if OU um, chose to be elite during a year where nobody else was truly elite. Um, but that's the fortune that we chose. We chose to go to the playoff from 2015 to 2019, which probably produced the greatest collection of playoff teams in the four playoff team era. And them's the breaks. We just got to get better. Yeah, one thing too to point out about that, and and I, the the whole deal with oh you know this changes the game and everything like that, to me, Michigan had twenty one seniors in the two deep right, and so their top forty four players they had twenty one seniors, they had eleven fifth and sixth year kids right, I mean they had COVID kids all over the place, like, I mean, you are not going to have teams going forward with that level of 
you know, mat- physical maturity and just maturity in general, you know, in depth. I mean, it's that that is going to be very, very rare. And, you know, I mean, Harbaugh was able to convince a lot of those dudes to stick around, you know, but it's just, it's not a replicable formula going forward in my mind. That's what we're hoping Brent can do. I mean, he's had two seasons in a row where guys four or five years ago that are either fringe draft picks or, you know, they, they could be drafted or they will be drafted, but it'll be a fourth or fifth round guy. Like those guys would just leave the second, the, the first chance that they had. Well, Brent has had two seasons in a row where he's essentially convinced that type of player to come back for another year. And now a few of them, two consecutive years, uh, like Woody Washington. So, um, I mean, that that's kind of something that can be replicated. I think that that's something that I think fan bases across the country should be wanting out of their coaching staffs is just those players that um, have the talent to be college level starters. Like you want them on your team. And in the era of the transfer portal where guys are just leaving left and right, if you can have an experience advantage, I mean, that can kind of counterbalance the, maybe the lack of talent um, that you're uh, that you have against your opponent. Cause I mean, the biggest advantage OU is going to have in the SEC next year is that there's probably not another as experienced defense in terms of number of starts, number of plays, number of snaps in their careers than what OU is going to try out there on defense. Now that necessarily won't mean that okay that we have the best defense, but it's it's going to be something that will bear some fruit maybe in a game or two where. We would have lost a game like this maybe a year or two ago, but because of all this experience, you know, we're able to pull this one out because of the savviness on defense. Yeah, I think there is a slight overreaction to this. Uh, the, the the one I've seen the most again, and I, I bring him up quite a bit on here, and would love to be able to get him on the podcast to uh, to talk about some of this stuff. Uh, or, you know, Ari Wasserman of the Athletic had basically said it is impossible for a team like Michigan to win national champion. That was his whole thing. It's like you have to be a super team, a super recruiter. Uh, of, of that nature. And now he is basically flipped it on its head. Like it's every tweet is I was so wrong. This opens up so much of my eyes. I'm seeing things in a different light now. And, you know, he even has a, an article from the athletic talking about like the widening, you know, different paths now that uh, teams can take to a national championship. And both of you are right. I mean, this is not, you, you can't replicate this at this point in time. And I mean, like, if you have, 21 five and six year players uh, you know on your roster grown men going through this, talented dudes more than likely you know, at that point in time and development and stuff like that they're they are a super developmental team that had to coalesce into a year you know this is their best version of the of the three-year run they had in the playoffs uh, but they you know how many times does it does a does a running back like edwards just stay you know, when he's like, I'm going to be the backup for three years. And then this year, not even get like 300 total yards in the regular season and stuff like that. When everywhere else, a kid like that would, would, you know, go to the portal, stuff like that. So there is some, some there to the coaching staff of keeping that team together from that perspective, but it just doesn't seem like it's a way to go forward. Cause we all kind of shrugged our shoulders at the TCU thing being like, well, they had a bunch of, you know, COVID kids seen super seniors and there's not going to do it again. And that team had 21% BCR. Uh, Washington had a 32% BCR. The only thing that you might be able to take out of it in an era that is now the book is closed because next year they have to win three games, <laughs> uh, not two, um, is that if you can get a quarterback that gets super, super hot and you have a couple NFL wide receivers, you can make something happen. 
you know, if something's going to break your way at that point in time. And that and also was just an impossible way to build a football team. You know, like Washington, you got to say, well, I guess we'll wait for the next. Let, let's look at Oregon. Oregon's looking at Dylan Gabriel being like, here's a 60 year quarterback. <laughs> like maybe yeah. this is, he's our guy. And like, maybe they're the next one up. But how many times can you keep getting a quarterback who's been in, you played the game like a hundred starts. It's, it's not meant to happen. Literally. You're not supposed to be able to do that. Yeah. So that's hell, something Tua's, that's different. Hell to his brother graduated with two degrees and he's still trying to play college yeah. football. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, That's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, I was on a discussion with somebody about that earlier and they're like, you saw that progression from year to year to year, three years uh, in a row making the playoffs and you see it. And eventually they went there. And um, I will say there is some, uh, not not some credit, a ton of credit that coaching staff and that program for finally getting over the hump. They beat the most talented football team this season in Alabama, according yeah. to the twenty four seven talent team composite. They're they're a, a, a marketable uh, difference above number two Georgia uh, from from that perspective. Um, the most talented team. They beat them. They beat Nick Saban when he had a whole month to prepare for Michigan. And that's how everyone's saying, and they beat that team. And then they went out and they just choked uh, Washington to death on uh, <laughs> live TV for everyone to watch. I mean, they got it done. But then I tried to compare that to Oklahoma, you know, 17, 18, 19. Oklahoma was there three years in a row, but Oklahoma didn't develop. It seemed like they were chasing wins the entire time instead of saying, we've got some def defensive development that's going on. Guys are growing up. And I, I don't know how true that is. I keep trying to make that point in my head of trying to figure that out. Obviously, it's you know, Baker, then one year Kyler, one year Jalen. But the defense just seemed like they never took time to say, let's fix it. Instead, it was like, we can't stop what we're doing because we're winning. We understand if things work out right, we'll get there. So Oklahoma was playing much more like the TCU or Washington route of saying, if we get hot, <laughs> we got a shot. Instead yeah, of I saying, mean, we've like, developed ourselves to this yeah, championship roster. Yeah, I mean... I think part of it, and, you know, it was one of the things that Lincoln Riley always kind of bristled at was the idea, like, you know, I mean, it really, it is hard to win at that level for that length of time, right? I mean, to win enough games three years in a row to make the playoff, if it was easier, everybody would be doing it, you know? <laughs> um, I think that those OU teams were very good at getting ready for this season. Right. I mean, even the Jalen Hurts thing, I mean, they totally transformed the offense to uh, fit and exploit what he could do. And, you know, I mean, you've kind of seen Riley carry that over to U USC now where it's like every year is a new team and every year, you know, they're tr getting as many transfers as they can get to kind of fill in all the gaps. And like, that's, that's a tough way to live though in college football. Like, I mean, I realize we'll probably see more of that going forward, but I mean, if you, you want to have though, a program more like a Michigan, not necessarily where you gear up. And uh, I mean, I felt like, I felt like what really happened with Michigan is, you know, they might've made the playoffs three years in a row, but like they were geared up this year to really take advantage of all of it. Um, you know, I mean, you need that kind of development in your program going forward. And that's what, I mean, I do feel like that's what Venables is going for longer term. And that's something that's really interesting about the Michigan thing too, because it follows your, your normal 
removing any extracurricular activity the coaching staff may or may not have done. It followed your normal fairy tale idea of how the coach, how at the hero's journey, you know, from that perspective, they hit the bottom in 2020 and then they beat, you know, they beat Ohio state, they make the playoffs, but they get just dominated and they beat Ohio state again. Then they almost beat TCU. You know, now they beat Ohio state, they beat Alabama. And then, you know, it's like, it's just a perfect little stair step, kind of like how people used to see the NBA where it's like Michael Jordan, he had to beat the Celtics first and then he had to beat the Pistons. And now he's the champion, that type of thing, bang, 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 instead of just bubbling up out of nowhere. Um, that's to me is where maybe some, some of, you know, my own fandom for Oklahoma, the Sooners, I'm, I have to keep thinking of that, like, sure, Oklahoma could get hot and just bubble up out of nowhere, but I would love it to what Alan was saying. Brent isn't making a brand new team every year, that he's making a five-year team every year, if that makes sense. Like, there's a shifting of, this is, we're on a five-year program every single year that starts a new five-year program, and there should be a way, a you know, crescendo of, we're going to be the most talented now, but OU with the talent they have should always be competing, but there should be peaks where they're like, we should be the top team or close to the top team at this point in time, because the O-line is going to be there, the defensive line is going to be there. Then we'll reload and build back up and reload and build back up. I, mean, I don't think Oklahoma is going to be like a Georgia to where it's theoretically peak every year, <laughs> potentially just for the amount of talent coming in. But I mean, Brady, I mean, do you think Oklahoma, I mean, of this path, because people, again, they're saying, hey, there's more paths open up. The path to this is opening up for this point in time. Where do you see where do you see Oklahoma moving towards just from what we've seen Brent Vrabel's doing now, uh, year two, shifting to year three, or as you mentioned, potentially year two, uh, <laughs> uh, however we want to judge that first year in Oklahoma trying to survive that uh, regime change? Yeah, I, I think... It's interesting, like OU's history kind of suggests that um, whenever OU is the elite program in the country, it's because they're at the forefront of something, you know, like um, obviously OU didn't invent the wishbone. They famously stole it from the University of Texas, who I think stole it from Houston when they were running kind of the veer thing. And they, I guess, um, uh, Darrell Royal kind of turned it into the wishbone. OU stole it, but perfected it. And they... Um, you know, rolled that to three to the tune of three national championships in the seventies and the eighties. And were just one of the best programs in those two, in that two decade run in the country. So they are at the forefront of that. I mean, but the wishbone was essentially like the air raid of its time, just on the ground. You know, it was a funky offense. It was an offense that obviously if you're a running back, um, you would have a pathway to success through college to get into the NFL. I mean, OU produced a lot of great NFL running backs with the wishbone, but it's, it wasn't an offense that attracted a lot of receivers or tight ends or passing quarterbacks. So um, it kind of has the same, it had the same um, detriment that the air raid did over the last 10 years where um, you, you would get some very talented players that would come and score a lot of points, get a lot of yards, but a lot of the NFL types would kind of scoff at, a weird funky circus offense and say, I want to go play a pro style more so to prepare myself for the NFL. Um, so when I look at Michigan and I see that offense and it works it, but it is boring. Um, I, I, I think what Brent Minimals would want to do just from a program standpoint is just have it be a combination of like the attitude, the loyalty to the program or to the team, you know, whatever that the, the corniness that is, um, Harbaugh, Michigan football, like you want some of that 
to kind of glue the the roster together and the program together year in and year out and uh, inspire players to want to come back and better themselves individually to set themselves up for a better future, which also um, helps out the roster and helps out the team um, in that following season. So you want that. But I think Brent understands that, yeah, like we're based in Norman, Oklahoma. We are two and a half hours away from the Dallas Metroplex. We have access relatively, um, you know, relatively close by to some of the most talented skill position players, quarterbacks, receivers, running backs year in and year out. And to just kind of say, oh, okay, we need to play quote unquote big boy football and just line up in the I formation with 26 offensive linemen and run, you know, a belly or an ISO. It's like, yeah, you don't want to do that. Um, but you want kind of a combination of both where you are at the forefront um, schematically, offensively, schematically, def- defensively, but you have that attitude and you have that loyalty to the team and to the program that Michigan really displayed over the last handful of years um, under Jim Harbaugh. So, I mean, to me, that's, that's what makes the most sense. Um, I think I've been, I mean, I would think that I'm not alone even on this podcast and thinking like, I mean, the air raid, the, the RPO game, it's had its time. Can we think of something else? But I mean, it's, it's something that helps kind of distance yourself when you are trying to, I mean, when you're trying to basically answer the question of, yeah, we have, we don't really have as much talent as we need to at this point. So we need to do these kind of funky things to kind of make up for it. Um, so if recruiting continues on the trajectory that it's on, I think, oh, you will be able to be more picky and choosy with what type of identity it wants. And, you know, going back to what you were saying about that 2017 to 19 run chasing wins, like I, I agree. And I think as history has gone on, like Lincoln, Lincoln just wants to wanted to shortcut his way to a national title. And his idea was I have the best quarterback in the country. Who's probably also extremely dynamic in Tyler or Jalen hurts and a bunch of NFL receivers and offensive linemen, I'm going to shortcut my way to a national title. Um, I'm, I'm very happy that that's not where that that's not the place that we're in right now. Um, and it seems to be like, okay, the defense is progressing. Guys are coming back. There's going to be a lot of experience. Um, but there are also a lot of young, talented players that will get a lot of playing time so that when those older players move on um, after 2024, it's just going to give way for these more experienced, um, these more talented younger players that will then have experience moving forward. And that's where you want to be. And we're there at least on paper defensively. Um, don't know necessarily about offense because who knows with Jackson Arnold with the first year starting quarterback. But I think Brent's on that path that we ultimately want the program um, to be on. It's also something that I, I just kind of th- thought about this. I remember, uh, you know, Bill Conley was doing teams of certain decades and things of that nature. And Oklahoma never quite, according to SP Plus, would never be like the number one rated team of any decade. Like it was always like in the top five or something like that. That, you know, they, if I remember it right, they never were like the most power rated team. Oklahoma would win multiple championships in, multiple, in many of these decades, but they would never be like, we are the top team of that year for like maybe like power again power rating versus like earning they've won and all that type of stuff and so it makes me think of that michigan idea of what you just mentioned of if you can just develop yourself to be at a point in time to where you can take advantage quote unquote take advantage of a field that you can beat you know like oklahoma is never going like like university of texas can be more talented than oklahoma at any point in time you know georgia can the same alabama the same ohio state the same it's something as oklahoma fan 
you have to sit there and say, okay, that's fine. But Oklahoma is always in striking distance and it doesn't take much for them to, you know, that one of those teams to misevaluate a quarterback or misevaluate a couple of offensive tackles in Oklahoma there because they're usually just so steady of a program is able to beat those teams. Like that's the point of it. It's like, just be a steady ship and you can win a lot of football games. And you know, in time when it, when, you know, the opportunity presents itself, you can raise to that, you know, rise to that uh, occasion to win a national championship at that point in time. Um, yeah, yeah, no one says the 2000 Oklahoma team is, you know, it's usually said like the least talented team uh, that won a national championship in modern history now because the recruiting rankings are all over the place. Uh, and then that became the 03 team, the 05 team, and all that type of stuff. It came very, very talented teams that, uh, that Bob Soups were built from that perspective. Uh, Alan, do you have any thoughts on, uh, any closing thoughts on national championship or OU's uh, path uh, to, to a title? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, one last thing to keep in mind. I mean, looking at Michigan, uh, I mean, this year they played, I mean, they, they were superior talent-wise to at least 12 of the team, 12 of the 15 teams they, they played or beat. Um which is a bit, you know, and one of those teams that is theoretically better is Penn State, which is like a joke. Um, so, you know, again, don't go too overboard with the whole, uh, you know, oh, you know, culture stars don't matter, blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, this was a this was a still a very talented team and a team that was, uh, you know, built with your or was, you know, I guess started with you know a, a head start on most of the competition that they faced. Yeah, not quite. Uh, you know, third base Ryan Day, something I just learned. Uh, a nice little nickname for him uh, uh, at that level, obviously. But yes, I mean Michigan's going to be it is a blue blood massive program. That anytime they don't win ten games, uh, should be seen as a, a failure to to uh, a certain degree at, at that point in time. Uh, it, it, no matter who's coaching uh, at, up there in Ann Arbor. Yeah. Uh, moving on, you know, we're not a breaking news podcast. We stick to our schedule. So in that time, uh, Ted Roof no longer uh, coaches defense for University of Oklahoma, and Oklahoma is reported. I don't know if it's like it's not official official yet, correct? Uh, Zach Alley for a defensive coordinator. I have not, not seen official. the official announcement yet. It's, it's 7.23 on Tuesday night. Um, Iowa State is beating Houston 37 to 31, which is good for OU. And OU still does not have a defensive coordinator in the official capacity, but reports say that he is essentially already doing his job, whatever that means, what recruiting trail or just meeting with players. I, I, I don't even know if that's a lot legal, you know, if he's not technically signed, but I mean, you know, rumors is rumors are rumors is rumors, you know? Yeah, my, my assumption it's something like there's waiting for the next scheduled meeting of the people to uh, confirm a, a contract, however that works at that point in time for it to be a, the official official. The Regents meeting. The Regents meeting, that's correct. Um, that well, let's, coming... let's, let's, be, let's be honest here. I mean, yeah, we stick to our schedule, Peyton, but if OU had a defensive coordinator that wasn't a mouthpiece for Brent Venables. And then on a random Thursday, he yes. was shown the door. We would have jumped on a podcast so quickly, but yeah. it happened. And it was just like, I think we all kind of, I don't want to like, I don't want to dog Ted roof. He, he, he provided some help. Like he provided help to the program, but 
I mean, when the announcement came down, it was just like, oh, yeah, I forgot Ted Roof is the defensive coordinator technically. Uh, but I guess it makes sense that he would have been hired for essentially a kind of a two year, like help me overhaul the culture and especially overhaul the defense. Cause that's the biggest challenge. And he helped do that. Cause now we have a lot of confidence going into the sec on the defensive side of the football. And if you would have said that two or three years ago, we probably would have all scoffed and laughed, laughed you off the face of the earth. So there it is. Sorry, Ted roof. Thank you for your help though. But, um, not, not worthy of emergency pod, if that makes sense. And that's probably a very rude thing to say, but that, I mean, that's, them's the breaks. Yeah. He seems, uh, for, for wrestling terms, he was a transitional champion. Uh, basically we need to move <laughs> on to the next guy. Uh, you know, he's, he's, he sat there to be there while Brent installed his system, you know, and knowing he couldn't be full-time defensive coordinator and he was, I, I don't think you're going to be able to hire a defensive coordinator under Brent while Brent's also saying, but I'm also no, you know, going to be doing your job. Well, like, <laughs> yeah, well, like, going to agree to that. Like, I mean, like, let's be flat out, though. I mean, oh, you hired Brent Venables to fix its defense. So, <laughs> you know, I mean, knowing that, how are you going to hire a defensive coordinator to <laughs> sit there and and think, okay, well, the you know, year one, if the defense sucks, I'm going to be the one that gets all the uh, gets all the arrows for that. And if, if it's good, you know, I mean, it, it owes to Brent. It's all Brent's thing. You know, I mean, like it, this had to be a kind of situation where Venables was, is, you know, willing to say, I am want to be more of a head coach. And that's clearly what uh, is, is taking place here with, with this hire, I think. Yeah. So Zach Alley coming from over from a Jacksonville state, the uh, Gamecocks for, for last year, they were top 15 in multiple categories, uh, they're seventh in tackles for loss, eighth in turnovers gained, tenth in sacks, and fifteenth in tackles for loss. That type of a, uh, I'm sorry, seventh in tackles for loss yards, fifteenth in total tackles for loss. Sorry, I read that wrong. Uh, that seems to kind of fall really, really closely in line with the type of production that Brent Venables' defense wants to do. <laughs> you know, Brent Venables as a defensive guy is be disruptive. You know, we, we just spent a long time talking about Michigan, and Michigan's thing is basically suffocate. <laughs> Brent is very much like get a 10-yard loss over and over and over again. So there's going to be some boom and busting because of that. But if you get more of the more of the you know negative plays in offense, you're as a uh, uh, defensive coordinator, that's going to be helpful for you and the offense kind of lining up. Uh, and I think maybe that kind of falls in line with the ethos or ethos that Brent has on offense as well. Maybe that's why he you know, maybe a skewed a run your uh, a heavier run game offense because he's thinking I need interceptions I need sacks I need fumbles I need big plays and if you were to flip that same thinking on the offensive side it's I need 80 yard touchdown passes I need you know it's big big boom plays so it kind of if you use that thought thought exercise it kind of makes sense why Brent would want to have a more explosive or air raid style of, of offense instead of like a, a grind your guys uh, your opponents to uh to, to dust at that point in time but i believe zach is uh 29 years old uh i don't think any one of us here are uh is still that young so <laughs> congratulations on him and it also follows trends for the university of oklahoma which is hire young good coordinators and then let them be young and good uh, uh Brady, have, do you have any thoughts on this? Uh, you know, he's coming in here, uh, fresh blood, uh, figur figuratively and literally, uh, coming in here, 
potentially bringing some stuff uh, from his former stomps, but obviously much, much, much impacted by Brent Venables in his young career, uh, Brent being a, a mentor to uh, uh, Zach earlier on in his career. I mean, yeah, there, there's certainly a lot of things to get excited for because I think anytime a big-time program like OU hires a very young coach, I think the first instinct is to go, oh, more energy, more youth on the coaching staff is a good thing because – Programs like OU are fighting for the biggest of the big fish on the recruiting trail. And so, oh yeah, a young hip guy who knows how to like TikTok with them, right? Then that will help in recruiting. You know, just to me, it just kind of comes down to, okay, Brent Venables is 50, 51, 52 years old as a head coach. And I mean, he does not act like a 50 year old man by any stretch of the imagination. The guy has energy for days. Um, hopefully when I'm in my fifties, I'm that active and that energetic as he is. Uh, but at the end of the day, he is the head coach and has a lot more on his plate than just uh, giving Kendall Dolby like pointers while the game is still going on. I know McQuistion from Sooner Scoop highlighted that during the OSU game on that uh, really bad fourth down call at the end of the game. Um, Brent has a lot on his plate. So his energy needs to be kind of like his his energy allocation needs to be very precise. And that goes not just on game day, but that's like throughout the week, throughout the months, throughout the season, the off season and having a guy who um, is younger. Ideally, that just means the guy is hungry. The guy is going to be tireless in his effort to not only um, do a great job, but to prove himself because I'm sure he has aspirations similar to Brent Venables to want to be a head coach someday himself or to be a top defensive assistant one of the top defensive senses in the country. And you only do that by getting the best players, by developing um, those best players into becoming elite players, sending them off the, the NFL and running great defenses. So um, all that makes a lot of sense. And um, I do, I do find it interesting, Peyton, you mentioned like all the great stats for uh, Jacksonville state's uh, defense. One of the, re one of the other reasons why <laughs> um, Zach Alley kind of belongs with Brent Venables and this uh, OU program defense at this current uh, day and time is they also suck in pass coverage. And I, 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 um, they are in like, if some of these uh, defensive numbers um, in terms of passing defense, passing efficiency, it, it's, it is just not good. And I have not, I've not dove into any like Jacksonville state film. I'm going to assume, okay, if he's a Brent Venables clone, I'm going to assume that Jacksonville state probably sucked in zone coverage. Right. Because, if if they were good, then he has no business being here, right? See that joke just landed. That that did not land whatsoever. We <laughs> sucked on zone defense, ba guys. Come on now, it's, <laughs> it's okay. Like we were still we were still pretty good, but that was definitely an area of uh, we need to get better, especially when we play in the uh, the league with all the NFL receivers in it. Sands Ohio State. Yeah, I mean, like one of the things that does stand out to me looking at at I mean, the metrics, the analytics for Jacksonville State from last season uh, are primo from what I can tell. But there are the there is the occasional. Oh, no. <laughs> One of those being passing downs, uh, explosiveness, <laughs> that type of thing. And, yeah, and, and how much of that is just their talent relative to like the, the teams that they are playing? Um, you know, like it's, it's a oh, good. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, OU in the Big 12, I mean, week in and week out, like the SEC is better than the Big 12, but I think 
what OU fans are probably looking forward to on the positive side is, you know, week in and week out, we are not playing the best offensive minded coaching staffs where if you're playing a team, even an average team in the big 12, and they're coming off a bye week in the middle of the season, you're probably going to get a bunch of funky shit thrown at you. And are we going to be able to withstand that or remain disciplined on the field and um, overcome some, maybe some bust in coverage. Those are ultimately going to come. I'm not saying that that won't happen in the SEC. I'm not saying that the SEC doesn't have great coaching staffs in their own right, but I think week to week, that's kind of going out the window. And now you're just basically saying in the SEC, no, our players are just better than yours. We don't need to like run three motions before we snap the ball or something like that out of a weird pistol formation. We're just better than you are. So um, ultimately what Jacksonville state did, and I, I've kind of sped washed a few uh, games on YouTube. Um, ultimately what they want to do is just be physical and create so much havoc. And if you do that with great talented players, like, Oh, you seems to have on paper, it really doesn't matter that, Oh yeah, well, we're actually not good on the back end, but it doesn't matter if you're getting to the quarterback and rushing the play. Yeah. And, you know, looking at it too, like, like you mentioned from a talent standpoint, I mean, Jacksonville State was ninth in Conference USA from what I can looking at the 24-7 on composite. They were 136th in the country uh, in talent, which means that they're behind a couple of um, uh, FCS programs there. So, yeah, I mean, there there is certainly a more with less uh, element to this. Sorry, I was emailing the Aniston Star uh, to see if we can get uh, someone to jump on the podcast to talk about Zach Alley and his time at uh, Jack State. So I apologize about that. The uh, joke uh, did go over my head, much like a pass over Danny Stutzman's uh, head as he tries to drop oh! to his own. Gotcha. Follow oh! up. Their callback already. Quickly. I've, I've had some. I've had some people. I, I won't name their names, Peyton, but I've had some people. Uh, text DM me or whatever and say like, man, your co-host just does not like Danny Stutzman. And I'm like, what do you mean? And no. they would specifically bring up like he, like you saying like Curtis having the, the gall to criticize him in pass coverage. It's like, dude, if we're trying to talk to, about him being a butkus winner, which he he's in that conversation of player, he can, he has that capability. He's going to have to clean that up. Like he is going to have to clean that up. I think that he can. And uh, we, we should have the expectation that he should. And if he doesn't, that will be a large disappointment. So, I mean, I will defend you, Peyton, on that one. Well, then let me clarify myself. You know, Danny Stutzman is a fantastic and great run-stopping uh, linebacker that uh, at the University of Oklahoma is lucky to have, in my opinion. Uh, it'd be fantastic to have him back one more year. I'm glad he came back uh, to help against the run games in the SEC. Uh, I think his past coverage can uh, improve himself, and that would be good for him in his career as he moves on to the NFL. But to say um, he's a bad player or anything of that nature, uh, hey, you, 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 you criticize your strongest soldiers, I guess, uh, is where I'm kind of going from that. Uh, he's not someone I've written off. He's extremely, extremely talented. Uh, he's not like, uh, I don't know, like Kanek. I'm kind of losing faith in Kanek. <laughs> but Stutzman, Stutzman's the guy. I, he, he is very much the guy, very much the heart and soul of the defense. He's uh, a fantastic player. It's just if you were to look at Oklahoma uh, over the last couple of years when he employed, uh, you know, when he was roaming around the middle of that defense, uh, the middle is usually open <laughs> for business. Uh, that, that's just an issue that Oklahoma needs to, uh, to tighten up. Was that I mean, was that an issue with Brent's defenses at Clemson? Because I I do remember, I mean, in the last few years when Brent was here as the D.C., 
I do remember like the middle of the field behind the oh, linebackers God. was always kind of open. But at the same time, I mean, the linebackers back then were like Travis Lewis, who was a good player, but he was he he had a fantastic freshman year, and then just progressively. I mean, he probably just hit his ceiling as a freshman. Probably is the best way to put it because he had, had such a foot great injury, I believe, and I think yeah, that just kind his, of his sap, junior sap some of his yeah athletic yeah. potential. He had he had such a great year as a freshman that I think we all OU fans kind of just projected like, oh, he's going to get better and better and better, and he might have improved as a player, but his production did not match like that improvement um, compared to his freshman year. And I, who you, Clint Keenan Clayton? I think he was gone after '09, like. I'm trying to remember the 2010, 2011, 2012. Yeah, well, like, well, like Keenan Clayton, for example, he was drafted as a more of a uh, well, I guess I think we're technically kind of an early type cheetah, you know? Yeah, he um, was he was so, one of the first yeah. Roy backs after. Uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, you had Roy Williams, then Eric Bassey for a hot second, Antonio Perkins. Uh, yeah. Nick Nick Harris played that position. Nick bit. Harris. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but I mean, like linebackers back then, I mean, they were kind of, I mean, we're talking about just like a different kind of player. You know what I mean? Like uh, Travis Lewis, for example, was two, 235 pounds. I mean, he was a run, you know, he was designed to be a run stopper, uh, you know, and, and, you know, Brent had the misfortune of, um, you know, coordinating at a time when you know big 12 was perfecting the uh the spread and <laughs> so you know those kinds of matchups you know over the middle where you, you could get matched up on linebacker who was built to uh to stop the run you know that was the kind of thing where uh they were just able to hammer that all day long you know teams like baylor for example were just i mean over and over and over yeah so i mean i think with with Brent in, in that middle of the defense there is something that he gets fixed by his safeties being able to come down and that, you know, that cheetah position being able to roam over the top and kind of replace from that perspective because the, you know, that middle linebacker position or those linebacker positions are meant to one, fill the run gaps uh, because that's what you do first on a defense and then two, go get the quarterback. Uh, you now Brent is attack, attack, attack. And if quarterback can get over that first wave, it's usually open like Oklahoma, like, OU Brent is going to cover deep during the blitz. Like you would never just cover short because <laughs> then you're yeah. going to have something boom. So because of the constant pressure he throws at people, throws at teams, you're going to have, um, you know, that, that be, if you get past the first wave, there's going to be some distance there. And then that secondary has to come down and stop that. So that's why it's, you know, it's super important. You don't have like a key Lawrence type out there missing tackles or, you know, Pearson out there miss doing miss assignments or something because they literally are the last line uh, uh, because there is no middle line at that point in time but hopefully that clears my name of any wrongdoings uh from oklahoma <laughs> fans <laughs> uh trust me i've read some of the comments uh and reviews uh previously before uh we were able to get alan and, and brady back on here so luckily i haven't been uh, uh brought uh, uh to you know, to court uh, and, and sit underneath a guillotine from that perspective. Oh, the um, day of reckoning is coming. I think Papa John <laughs> said that. Uh, sneaky, a decent pizza. I won't lie to you. Maybe just for like fast <laughs> oh. food pizza. I don't know. There's something I like some uh, doughy crust. Uh, is it? <laughs> I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm kind trash. of on the red I, dirt. I, I'm kind of I, on the red I, dirt thing. Good pizza is kind of in the middle. Regardless, you can have bad pizza, obviously, but good pizza. 
a great pizza, how much better is great pizza than good pizza? <laughs> I'm a garbage human. I like Domino's. I mean, it's, it's just, it's easy. The Domino's thin crust, you get the little squares. Yeah. I, I lived off that in college um, <laughs> quite a well, bit. Well, and you also <laughs> have to, you have to respect Domino's for like making an entire marketing campaign out of the idea that their pizza was so bad <laughs> that they we had to start. We recognize mistakes over. were made. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a mistake. And then, you know, the stuff like the ads with like the pizza on top of the box, you know, and stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, just, yeah. Own it, own it. Uh, that, that pretty much covers everything we wanted to talk about today was the national championship and the, uh, the Zach Alley thing. We're going to have more content on our um, uh, Patreon. Like I said, I'm trying to get an interview with someone from the Allison Star. Uh, I just learned of that uh, publication today uh, to talk about Zach Allen and his, his time at Jacksonville State. Also trying to get some other uh, other uh, interviews and other uh, articles lined up for Patreon as we enter fully into the off season and uh, getting geared up for the spring game. Uh, we'll have some big, uh, hopefully some big relevations for us as a uh, micro business uh, coming forward with some different ways of communicating with our audience and making sure there are different uh, different products or different uh, uh, types of uh, content that we can provide uh, the Patreons and provide the general public kind of moving forward as we cover the Oklahoma game, Oklahoma football, uh, sports. And even Brady had mentioned to me, he's like, Hey, you should apply for a, uh, uh, a media pass for SEC media days down in Dallas. So that's something I want to look forward to and try to see if I can do something of that nature and see if we can kind of wreck the shot like DX back in the WCW days to show up at a nitro, uh, challenge them to a fist fight. Uh, but, uh, it, that's pretty much it for me. Do you guys have anything else? Have you guys tried uh, the uh, Sonic Bacon uh, Peanut Butter Cheeseburger yet? I love peanut butter oh. cheeseburgers. I just learned of this, <laughs> so yeah, I, will, I, I will be trying it uh, after the 16th I'm on currently on a, a cut. But after that, I will be trying at least one of them. Uh, I used to go to, I mean, the garage and get their 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 mac and, their mac uh, peanut butter burger, and it's very, very good. But I haven't tried it yet. Have you tried it? No, there's no Sonic out here. No, oh, that's right. That's right. Brady. No one no wonder DC's in the garbage heap. Just kidding. But come on, get a Sonic. Get a Sonic for Alan. Come on now. We'll Do we know anybody from Sonic? We can figure it out. We we uh, get them on the podcast real quick. Um yeah. what was that what was that thing on Twitter about that LSU offensive lineman? I, I I'm I read that it was a joke. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? The one who is transferring or? The one who's in the portal currently, and that was, I guess, in Norman yesterday on his visit. Mm -hmm. Some some Twitter account put out that he, he, uh, he informed Tennessee's coaching staff that he's committing to Tennessee because he was at the Oklahoma City airport for five hours before anybody picked him up. I, I, I'm no, I know that that's been outed as kind of a troll job, but... Mm -hmm. um, I will say, um, as of right now, just like oh, you're not having a uh, defensive coordinator officially. I mean, I guess that that offensive lineman came to Norman, and there is an announcement, which I don't know if that's a good thing for OU's chances because you have guys that are in the portal. They're like, yeah, I'm going to visit this school on this day, and then this other school on the next day, and then they visit that first school. I am signed. I am home because the bag has been dropped. So. I don't know. We need offensive linemen, though, because we had to settle for that one bro who got benched at USC, and yikes. 
Yeah, I don't know the full ins and outs of that. Obviously, I, I seem to have missed that bit of drama. I do, if you're reading tea leaves, you know, Ole Miss picking up the other uh, offensive lineman mm-hmm. kind of made it seem like things were going to fall Oklahoma's way. Uh, but like you said, who knows at this point in time. I was under the assumption that uh, we were be getting good news in a couple of days. <laughs> so yeah. hopefully we still are. Yeah, on that one, I had read that it should be uh, should have been yesterday. So that's the part where it's like, eh, maybe uh, mm-hmm. something else going on here. All right. Well, yeah, hopefully didn't get left at the airport. Uh, Eddie should have been staying at the airport instead of a bus stop to make sure that gets taken care of. Uh, <laughs> Don't fly Alaska Airline. Whatever you do. Uh, true. True. I'd be terrified. We just watched uh, Society of Snow on Netflix. Uh, good movie. Oh yeah. Good movie. Yeah. They obviously can, they condense a lot of stuff. I mean, it should, they should have just made like a, you know, an eight episode mini series about it. So you can really get into each one of those, like day, is this eight, the, day is this the rugby team that yes, in the Andes. Andes. Oh. Yeah, and then ate each other. Oh yeah. God. Yeah. It's, it, uh-uh. it's a fantastic story. They, oh, yeah, they made a whole movie about it back, uh, back. Oh, it was, uh, it was quite, mm-hmm. I think it was like a, you know, quite a box office smash. Yeah, alive with uh, yes, yeah. Ethan Hawke, I believe. Yes, 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 Nando. Yep, yep. Nothing says you're going Ecuadorian like rugby player. You know? <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> uh, it was a different time. It's a different time. Was a different time. The last uh, temptation of Jesus Christ, starring <laughs> Willem Dafoe. Yeah. <laughs> if you've made it this far, watch Echo on Disney Plus and Hulu. That helped me out a lot. That'd be very, very beneficial to me. Uh, uh, but other than that, uh, thank you guys for showing up. Thank you for uh, Matt Allen. Uh, Brady, always making time for this. Thank you to Vanessa House for being the title sponsor. As always, if you're in Oklahoma City, please go visit them. Uh, go, you know, go to Highway, grab a pizza, walk over the brewery, go get smashed while they're doing karaoke or uh, Super Smash Brothers. Do all kinds of cool stuff there. It, it's a fun place to do. They also have like D and D trainer courses and stand up comedians. It's just really cool the type of stuff they're trying to do down there. Uh, help them get some traction. And let's move forward with that uh, as a team. And then if you like us, you want to support us. Uh, patreon.com slash through the keyhole we have multiple tiers come hang out I had somebody say man you guys are doing you guys are for a dollar you guys are undercharging yourself and I had to clarify to them there are other tiers in which they then uh, <laughs> uh, modified their their giving at that point in time but thank you for anyone who subscribed and helps us out thank you anyone who interacts with us uh, we do have our bowl game um, uh, pick them winners which I'll be uh, notifying on patreon uh, tomorrow in a post Letting you uh, guys know you'll be getting the home field gift cards. And then, uh, Lee, don't forget, I don't, uh, I haven't forgot about you. You will be getting your Barry Switzer uh, mini helmet uh, soon for the regular season pick them. I just wanted to wait until after, I don't know, the start of the year. I'm just being lazy. I apologize, but that will be shipped out uh, this week. So uh, thank you, everyone who uh, does everything for myself, for Alan, for Matt, for Brady, for Vanessa House, for, I guess, Burt Frenels, too. Boomer! Zach Alley, him, too. Sir, sir.